All right. Hey, uh, it's good to be here with y'all. I want y'all to believe you're not here by accident, whether you're in one of our six physical locations or you're in our online connections. Thank you for being here. You're not here uh, for any other reason that God's got something for you. And, I, and I'm praying for all of us that we get what God has for us as we continue in our series called WOW. Before we jump into that, a couple of things. One, there's a next step card if you're in our six physical locations. If you're online, you can use the comment section of Rockbridge Online or also the other channels. But this card's a great way to communicate with us, a way we can pray for you. If God is leading you to take a next step or have a conversation with a pastor or a minister about taking a next step, this is just an incredible way to uh, share that information with us. So just want to call your attention to that. And also just kind of want to look ahead just real briefly with us here at Rockbridge. Uh, it was about 20 years ago this month that I got out of the Navy, left the Norfolk, Virginia area, moved back here to Northwest Georgia, and we started Rockbridge Community Church. So we're in our celebration or moving toward our celebration of our 20-year anniversary. After a lot of prayer about that, we really want that to be less about looking back and more about moving ahead. And we want to use this 20 year to thank God for all he's done, but also to move us forward in greater faithfulness. So you'll, you'll see an email and some things, a blog post from me coming out later about a, a unified call to prayer and fasting in the month of August, about a celebration outreach effort that we'll do in September, which is our actually anniversary, and just a lot of things that we want to fuel discipleship in our church. We'll be launching a new membership process called All In that we're incredibly excited about to help us all grow closer to Christ and move closer to who he wants us to be. So a lot of different things going on, and I just want to ask for your prayers about that as we prepare, as we plan, and as we ask God for his favor for Lord willing till Jesus comes, but for the next 20 years unless he comes in between now and then. So again, thank you for being here. Thank you for your prayers. You're not here by accident. Let's jump in to God's word. Easy to find the book of Genesis, first book of the Bible. That's where we're going to be this week in at Rockbridge as we just find things in Scripture that like make us go wow, that just kind of grab our attention, make us go wow. And, and so the, the thing we're going to talk about today is just how we make decisions or the decisions we make. And, and here's what I know. Uh, whether you're like an atheist, new to church, a Christian, you have some level of stress about decisions. If you're a Christian, you want God to inform your decisions or shape your decisions. Even if you're not a Christian or if you are a Christian, you, you fear making a bad decision. A lot of times we want control over decisions, and then we're like, God, help me make the decision, but I want control in making the decision. How do I know God's will? And, and, and is there a wild truth? that we can embrace from God's word on how we make decisions. Because if we're all honest and, and you know, it's sort of proverbial, we're in church, so we ought to be honest, right? But most of us could come up here, I could give you the microphone, you could put in the chat online, and you could tell a decision you made that which you wish you could unmake. Is that not true of all of us? I mean, that, that is just a universal human experience. God has given us some degree of the ability to decide, to choose, to choose paths, to choose left, to choose right, to go north, to go south, to stop, to start. And sometimes, honestly, we just mess that up. But in the moment, we might be thinking, man, this is the greatest thing ever, right? So how can we have a wow moment and really get to this place where, man, am I making a decision that God can bless? 
Am I making a decision that God can honor? Am I cooperating with God? So what we're going to do is we're going to look at a, a, a guy named Abram who becomes Abraham, and we're going to look at three decisions he makes. Two of them are paradigmatic for us on the right way to make a decision, and one of them is not. And, and, it's, and they're all sandwiched in sequence from Genesis 12, really on into Genesis 14, and it keeps going. You just kind of walk with Abraham as he makes these decisions. And so we're going to learn from that, and we're going get, to get a lot out of that. So here we go. Just a little bit of background. Abraham's living, Abram's living over in what we might call modern-day Iraq or Iran, so the Middle East. And, and just out of nowhere, the Lord says to him, Go from your land, your relatives and your father's house, to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. This is the birth of the Jewish people. People. This is the birth of Israel. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing to all the peoples on earth. We bless through you. And that's the messianic promise that salvation comes from the Jews. Jesus was a Jew and he has the capacity to bless the world through with salvation and adoption into the, into the forever family of God. So let's look at this. I want you to move. I want you to go to an unfamiliar place. I want you to take everything you've ever known, and I want you to go somewhere, and I'm not going to tell you the address. I'm not going to tell you the zip code. I'm not going to tell you the house you're going to even live in. I'm putting in a little bit of 20, 21st century terms, right? How many of us would be like jumping on that? How many of us would be like, yes? I mean, this is sort of, let's be honest, this is sort of why some of you don't follow God. Because you're afraid God's going to pull this one on you. And you're going to have to, you're going to be leaving America. Or you're going to have to move somewhere. Or you're going to have to quit a job or do, break up with your girlfriend. And no, no, not that. Right? I mean, we're just afraid of this. And the wow is what happens next. There's no prayer meeting. There's no 10-week study group. We don't Google search, you know, what's Canaan like. Abraham went, as the Lord had told him. Now, it, I'm not going to make an argument from silence in Scripture, but it doesn't tell us that he delayed. It doesn't tell us that he prayed a lot about it. It doesn't tell us that he was nervous about it. It doesn't tell us that he, you know, it took him three years to make the decision. It just simply emphasizes immediate obedience. He immediately decided to do as the Lord had told him. And then we get this. He was 75 year old, years old when he left. He wasn't stuck in his ways. Amen, right? I mean, he was 75 years old doing something that crazy, that radical. He took his wife, Sarah, his nephew, nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated. They set out for the land of Canaan. And when they came to the land of Canaan, the Lord appeared to Abraham, Abram, and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. Again, the promised land. That's where it's all coming from, Israel and the Middle East, in the news every day, right? All coming from Genesis 12. So he built an altar there, a worship spot, a memorial. An altar is where things die. So part of Abraham died, right? God's leadership is what's leading Abram. He, so he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to them. From there he moved on to the hill country east of Bethel, pitched his tent with Bethel on the west, and I on the east. He built an altar to the Lord, and there he called on the name of the Lord. And that's the wow. 
I mean, that's part of the wow is, is just that he moved out. He trusted. It was radical abandonment. It was, you know, we would probably, from the outside looking in, if your parents, if your kid called you and said, hey, mom, dad, I'm going to move to a place I've never been before and I'm just going to do something, you'd be like, you're crazy. You're crazy. But God's in it. God's promised blessings on it. So there's something here about this decision Abraham made that's important for us to learn from. Now, here's the thing. It does sort of work out. He becomes the father of a great nation. He becomes the father of the faith you and I have. If you have faith in Jesus, it's coming back all the way to Abraham. But it doesn't work out immediately. See, a lot of us think, man, the moment I trust God, everything is supposed to be woo hunky-dory, right? There was a famine in the land. God, you sent me to a place and knowing, because you're God, right? And there's a famine. Come on, God. But there's a famine in the land. And so Abram's got to do something else. He's got to move the place he just moved to, and he moves down to Egypt. Now, in Scripture, not, not much good happens in Egypt. But they moved to Egypt to stay there for a while because the famine in the land was severe. When he was about to enter Egypt, and here we come to that second decision. I told you we're going to look at three. We come to this second decision, and, it's, and I just want you to see the contrast. Because it's like Abram is a different man in this second decision. First decision, radical trust. First decision, go where God says to go. Second decision, eh, we get a little shaky. Look what happens. So he's about to enter Egypt. He says to his wife, Sarah, look, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, and they will kill me but let you live. Please say you're my sister so that it will go well for me because of you and my life will be spared on your account. We hear no mention of God. We see a plan, a scheme, Abraham, Abram trying to remain in control. We see all of that. And then when Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. Pharaoh's officials saw her and praised her to Pharaoh. So the woman was taken to Pharaoh's household. Now, I'm going to read between the lines because we know what's happening in that culture. Abram prostituted his wife to save his life. Good decision? Bad decision? It's a decision. But the Lord struck Pharaoh and his household with severe plagues because of Abram's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh sent for Abram and said, what have you done to me? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say, why did you say she's my sister so that I took her, here it is, as my wife? Now here's your wife. Take her and get out of here. Now, we get a lot of things from these two comparisons. We're comparing these two decisions and the first thing is this, man, we really are all one decision away from stupid, right? I mean, part of me is like, man, the father of our faith made a great decision and he made a dumb one. And that's kind of normalizes things, right? Because I'm like, okay, I make dumb decisions too. We really are all one decision away from stupid. You make a decision to trust God radically, to trust God boldly, and then you turn right around and you take the steering wheel back from God. God, I've got to protect myself. God, I know you promised that I become a great nation, but I think I'm going to die, so I need to do something about that. And it reveals something. It reveals something about all of us, okay? As much as you and I think we make good decisions, we are all one decision away from stupid. And actually what we need is a consistent way to consistently make 
good decisions. This is, this is kind of the key. Is there a consistent way for me to make good decisions? Now, let me, let me, make, let me segue and make a point here. In our, I'm going to use Christian language and I'll unpack that. In our discipleship, so when you and I trust our lives with Jesus Christ, I say it this way, we give Jesus the steering wheel of our life. That is not just a, I, I want to not go to a bad place and I'm going to go to a good place when I die. That is, I am going to learn from Jesus. I'm going to learn from God how to live my life the way he wants me to live my life, recognizing that being a Christian is the best way to live and the only way to die. That's the discipleship path. There's a lot of Christians, so-called, if you will, that, that we do not want to be discipled in the area of decision-making. We want to go with our gut. We want to go with what works. We want to decide the same way culture, society decides. This is what my daddy would do. This is what I'm going to do. I mean, a thousand different ways. Matt, you don't know what it's like in my job and how we have to make decisions. You don't know what it's like being married to him and how I have, you know, all, all that stuff, right? So the bottom line is, at some point in our journey with Jesus Christ, and if you're not yet a Christian, I'm going to tell you this up front. At some point, you and I are going to have to let God disciple our decision-making. At some point, we are, he is going to say, look, you have trusted me with your sins, and they are paid for. Maybe you've trusted me with a percentage of your income. Maybe you give me some time and you spend the Bible. Maybe you go to church, but I want to help you and be involved in you making decisions for your family, for your kids. I want to be involved in the kind of car you buy. I want to be involved in the house you live in. I want to be involved in your decision making. In fact, I want to be God, because that's the only thing God can do is God, right? I want to be God in your decision making. And there's fear from you and I because we like to be in control. So we fear making a bad decision, but we also fear not being in control. So you've, I want us to feel the tension in our own lives in a story that occurred thousands of years ago. Now, here's the, here's the, here's the catch in all this. We tend to evaluate decisions based on did it all work out? We're very pragmatic, man. Did I get the raise? Did I get the house? Did I get the car? Did I get, did she say yes or not, right? We evaluate decisions on they, if, whether they worked out or not. And here's the truth. Both decisions worked out. I mean, Abraham does become the father of a great nation when he moved from Ur to Canaan. He does become the father of Israel. He's the father of the Christian faith, if you trace it back, right? And, and then in, 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 uh, in Egypt, he doesn't get killed. He gets blessed. I didn't read that part. In fact, he accumulates a bunch of material possessions in Egypt, and we'll see how that plays into the third decision that gets made in a few moments. But So in both decisions, he worked out. It worked out. But the text of Scripture is not evaluating the decision based on the outcome of the decision. You catch that? You got to see that, right? Because we're pragmatic Americans. Man, if we made money, it was a good decision. We're pragmatic Americans. Man, if nobody got hurt, nobody got killed, and we had a good time, it was a good decision, right? That's not a decision. That it, that's not the way a disciple of Jesus Christ can evaluate their decision-making. A follower of God can't look at the decisions from a purely pragmatic standpoint. 
So let's begin to contrast, and I'll call it decision A, the decision to leave Ur and go to Canaan. Decision B, the the decision to self-protect by prostituting your wife to Pharaoh. So let's kind of look at this. Decision A is not normal because it violates common sense. It violates the, you know, what makes you comfortable. It's not a convenience-based decision. It's a radical step out of your comfort zone. But here's the, here's the catch. What, what the, the, the inspired author who's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit when Moses writes Genesis, it's not a normal decision, but it's a blessable decision. Because notice... Abraham is promised a blessing. He makes the decision, and God says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give all your offspring this land. So again, we want God in on our decision-making. We want to make decisions God can bless. They are going to have to look more like decision A than decision B. Decision B is a very typical decision. Because when you feel threatened, when you feel like you're in the land of Egypt, proverbially, or a land that is unfamiliar, you and I naturally want to help God or whoever it is drive the car. You and I naturally want to take the steering wheel, take the reins. You and I naturally think, man, I've got to have a plan to protect myself. I've got to have a plan to promote my agenda. And it's very self-oriented, okay? So that's typically how we make decisions. But God sends a... Did I just touch a wire? I did, didn't I? But God sends like a... a, But God sends like a plague right? He sends like a plague upon Pharaoh. So it's typical, but it's not blessable. So let's unpack it a little bit more, okay? Look at the language. One of the keys to interpreting historical narratives is to look at the language that the inspired author uses, because that language helps us get the meaning and the application from it. So in decision A, here's all we get. Abraham went as the Lord told him. Who's driving the decision? Who's being trusted in the decision? Who's being leaned on in the decision? What's the dominant factor in the decision? And it's the Lord. Then decision B, look at this. He says, look, I know, I'm thinking, I'm I'm scheming, they're going to kill me. I'm catastrophizing. I'm thinking, man, what's the worst that can happen? And let me engineer my circumstances so that doesn't happen. Please say you're my sister. Let's come up with a lie and to protect ourselves so it will go well for me. There's a lot of Abraham in this decision. You see that? This is God's word, not Matt's. And my life will be spared. Yeah, but you're prostituting your wife to Pharaoh. I mean, you see the tension, right? So, so the, this is the same guy making a decision. Decision A and decision B. Compare them another way. Abraham's focus in decision A, he's focused on God. In decision B, he's focused on himself. His posture, when I say posture, his mentality, his attitude, his disposition. First decision, decision A, he's trusting He's never even seen Canaan. He's trusting. Decision B, he's scheming. He's plotting. And that's the crazy part about it. That these are these decisions in the text are positioned, juxtaposed, right beside each other. Decision A follows decision, decision B to follow decision A. And, and the wow for me, the wow for me 
And, and that creates an application point for you and I thousands of years later is this, that the focus needs to be less on what the decision entails, what the decision is about, what is at stake, what the costs are, what the risks are, and more on the how of the decision. The how am I making this decision? How am I thinking about this decision? How am I involving or not involving God in the decision? How am I looking at this decision? What we tend to do is we look at the what. Man, go to an unfamiliar place. Or the what, man, you could be killed. The Pharaoh could take your wife and kill you so he could have your wife. We look at all those things and we zoom in on the what and then we forget to how are we making the decision. So in one, how was Abraham deciding? He was trusting. In the other, how was Abraham deciding? He was scheming. So there's a distinction there that we need to see. We focus in on what, what's happening, what's going on, what's the outcome going to be, what could happen, what's the worst that could happen, what's the best that could happen. Hey, how are you making that decision? How are you thinking about that decision? So think about it this way. You go ask someone for advice, you know, and it's something that, man, I can't give you a chapter and a verse that God says, thou shalt go to the University of Georgia. Actually, I can probably find that in here somewhere. But anyway, you know what I'm saying? There's no chapter and verse for the decision. I don't really know. And you go to someone, and you're like, man, I'm torn between two options. And then you're thinking about what, what the options are, what the options are. What we should be saying to each other is, tell me how. You're processing the decision. How are you looking at this decision? How are you thinking of, of, of these options? And how is God a factor in these options? So now that we've seen the good way and the bad way, or the blessable way, not normal but blessable, typical but unblessable, let's go to the third decision, Genesis 13. So Abraham goes up to Egypt, to the Negev, he and his wife, and all he had and a lot with him. So he's moving back to the promised land. The famine is kind of over. He's accumulated possessions, and Pharaoh has told him, you can't be in Egypt anymore because you lied to me. Abraham was very rich in livestock, silver, and gold, and he got rich in Egypt. Again, it worked out pragmatically, but it wasn't right spiritually. And you guys, sometimes you got to make a distinction about that. Just because God's with you doesn't mean everything practically works out in terms of materialistic gain. So he goes up by stages from the Negev to Bethel to the site where he had built the altar, and Abraham called on the name of the Lord there. Now, this, the text, the inspired text, the Holy Spirit wrote this through Moses. The text is telling us something. Do you ever see Abram calling on the name of the Lord while he's in Egypt? Does he ever build an altar to God while he's in Egypt? No. And that's telling us about how Abraham is approaching his decision. That's telling us there's a contrast between how he made the decision in Canaan and how he's, making the, how he's going to make decisions uh, in, in the promised land or, or versus, Canaan, versus Egypt. So he called on the name of the Lord there, and then we come to a decision point. So his nephew, a guy named Lot, was traveling with Abram, and he also had flocks, herds, and tents. But the land was unable to support them as long as they stayed together, for they had so many possessions, and they could not stay together. They just started kind of, there just started to be friction. So there becomes a quarrel, there becomes fighting, infighting, quarreling between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. So we've got a problem, right? We can't both occupy the same tracts of land. You've got too much, I've got too much. 
So Abram's got a decision to make. How do I solve this problem in the promised land that God has promised to me? Abraham is the senior male in the family. He is the the uncle to Lot. So he has the authority to solve this unilaterally. He has the authority to say, this is what we're going to do, Lot. You do this. I'm going to do this. And and that's what he does. That's the authority he has. And so the wow in the text is what happens next. How does Abraham make this decision? Here's what he does. He says to Lot, please, let's not have quarreling between you and me or between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, since we're relatives. Unity is important. Let's let's, let's resolve this fighting. So here's what he says. And this is amazing because, remember, he has the power, he has the authority, he has the family right to make the call. He says, isn't the whole land before you? He says, Lot, separate from me. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. You choose. You go first. Whatever's left over, I'll take it. Now, think about that. You ever gotten down to the last two pieces of cake and one of them's got more icing than the other? Y'all know where we're going, right? And, you know, and your kid wants one and you want one or your wife or your husband wants one or your friend wants one. And in your mind, you're like, man, let them choose the small piece or the piece. Oh, God, I want that piece with the most icing. But you're trying to be all spiritual. Like, oh, you choose, right? You see what it's doing, right? So Abraham's like, hey, Lot, you choose. And, and, and now watch because the, the author wants us to see Lot. So how does Lot make the decision? Is it going to be more like decision A in the earlier chapter or decision B? So Lot looked out and saw that the entire plain of Jordan was well watered like the Lord's garden, that's going back to Eden, and the land of Egypt. This Lot's looking at the cake with the most icing on it. This was before the Lord had destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah because he's looking in that direction. So Lot chose the entire plain of the Jordan for himself. He took the best-looking land. He looked and he said, this looks fertile. This looks like it can support all of my livestock. I'm going to go here, and and Abram, by default, will go the other direction. Then Lot journeyed eastward, and they separated from each other. Lot chose the bigger piece of cake. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, but Lot lived in the cities on the plain and set up his tent near Sodom. Now, here's what you have to ask yourself. Again, we're reading an inspired text by the Holy Spirit, so I ask myself, why does this little detail get put in here? We did, Lot doesn't know much anything about Sodom. That's the implication. But, but why does the author throw that in there? It throws that in there to show that Lot's decision would ultimately bring about a bad outcome or a bad consequence because he's going in the direction of pure evil. But he looks and says, this is the path to materialistic blessing. This is the path to prosper. This is the path, you know, we would say, man, this is, I'm going to choose the job that's going to give me the most money, right? I'm going to choose the piece of cake that's bigger and better for me. So that's the, but the author throws this little detail in here. To kind of ring a bell and say, hmm, Lot may not have made the best decision. So look, let's compare. Abraham, is he scheming? Is he controlling? Is he self-seeking? No. He's trusting. God has promised him. 
This land is yours. God has promised him, I'm going to bless you and your offspring and all the nations through you. And so Abram's like, I'm going to trust God. I'm going to trust what God says more than what I see. Because what I see is this plain over here of the Jordan looks prosperous, looks fertile, looks like it can support me. But what God said is he's going to take care of me. Lot, you choose. Now, what's Lot doing? He's just operating off common sense and materialistic urging. He's like a good consumer. He, sees it when he, he knows a good deal when he sees it. The difference is Lot goes with what he sees. Abraham goes with who he trusts. Lot goes with what he sees, prosper. Abraham's like, man, God's got me. I trust God. That's a different Abraham than the Abraham in Egypt, right? That's more like the Abraham that was in Genesis 12. Hey, Abraham, pick up everything you have and move to a land I'll show you. And Abraham went and moved. What happens next? We're not going to go there. You can read it on your own. Abraham immediately gets reassured by God's word, and God reaffirms his promise. Hey, I've got you. Reassurance to God. Lot sets up tents, near, and it says, near the evil people of Sodom. That's, and then in chapter 14, Lot becomes a prisoner of war, and Abram has to go rescue him. So the author's telling us, how did Abraham decide? How did Lot decide? Whose decisions are blessable? Whose decisions are not blessable? So let's stop and pull back. When we're making decisions, this is the application. The question we need to ask before we look at what's at stake, what we could lose, what we could gain, how am I making this decision? Am I making it scheming, plotting, ploying, focused on myself, or am I making this decision by trusting God, God's word, God's promises, and God's plans for me? And then here's the question. Does how I arrived at this decision reflect that I know and I trust God? Does how I arrived at this decision reflect that I know and trust God? And if the answer to that question is no or in doubt, then we need to question the decision because the how is not right. The how is not right. And listen, if the how is not right, ultimately it is an unblessable decision. Does how I arrived at this decision reflect that I know and trust God? And you got to think of it like this. Sooner or later, when you get married, you got to figure out how you're going to make decisions as a couple. You know, and there's that old advice, you know, hey, we agreed when we got married that I, the guy, would make all the major decisions and she would make all the minor decisions. I had a guy tell me, but, you know, in 30 years of marriage, there's never been a major decision. There's some good advice there, right? Some of you need to think about that, Right. <clears throat> But you got to figure out how you're going to make decisions, okay? And here's what we have to understand. Once you get married, every decision reflects or is reflective of your relationship with your spouse. So decisions you used to make unilaterally on your own, you don't do that anymore. You have to consult. You have to pray together. You have to work together. Marriage is the human relationship that is analogous to the relationship we have with Jesus Christ, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, when we get saved and we give Jesus steering one of our lives. Paul makes that comparison abundantly clear in Ephesians chapter 5. So we can't walk through decisions. Just like me, do I want to do this? Do I want to? Man, I need to call Beth. I need to text Beth. I need to talk to Beth. I need to pray with Beth before I make this call. Have I talked to Jesus before I made this? Have I built my altar before I made this? 
Does, how does this relationship reflect that I know the living God who it wants to be Lord of all? Do I know and trust God by this decision? So let me give you a couple of handlebars, then I want to have a time of prayer for us. The first one is this. Before we go into any decision, we have to activate our faith. Let me unpack that a little bit, all right? Our faith in God, we can believe in God, but our active trust in God can be dormant and not involved. So you go in to make a decision, what could be activated is your ego. What could be activated is your pride. What could be activated is, man, I want to look good to other people, and I want a bunch of attaboys and attagirls. So something could be activated, but your faith could be asleep, dormant, or dead. And that's very true. So what we see when Abram comes back out of Egypt, back into the Negev, back into the promised land, he builds an altar or returns to an altar rather and calls upon the name of the Lord. His faith is in a sense reactivated. So when he and Lot are at this crossroads moment, Abraham acts from a position of faith. He's not afraid. He's not sitting here like, man, what if Lot chooses the good stuff? What if Lot takes that big piece of cake? He's trusting because his faith is active. So you walking into a decision need to have a degree of self-awareness. Like what is activated in me? Is my fear? Is it what people are going to think of me? Is it my pride and ego? Or is it my faith and trust in a holy God who loved me and died for me? Secondly, I think we have to work to minimize emotions. No doubt, Lot looked to the east and he saw that it was good. He probably got excited because, man, what it was, it was right there. Abraham in Egypt, he got afraid. His emotion was fear and he went stupid. Abraham, when God called him to leave the land of Ur and go to the land of Canaan, just said he got up and went. He did not consult whatever emotions he had, grieving because he's leaving, a sense of loss. He just trusted God. So we have to minimize emotions and activate our faith to inform our decisions. And then the third thing is this. We have to defy normal and typical. It is normal and typical to use your common sense. It is normal and typical to go with your gut. It is normal and typical to have a plan, have a scheme, be in control, self-protect, self-promote, put self at the center, self as the CEO. It is normal and typical. We have to defy normal and typical. That's what you see in Genesis 12. Abraham, go up and move. Yes, sir. Abraham and Lot, Lot, Lot you go first. God's got me. You choose. That is the paradigm. And part of that's going to be we have to deny self. And what I mean by self is you and me apart from God. There's a you and me that exists apart from God. There's who you and I am when we're driving the car of our lives. And that part of us has to be denied. And the Christ in us, the Holy Spirit in us, that's what has to be allowed to be alive, active, and leading us in making decisions. So here's what I want to do. I want to close this way. I pointed your attention to this next step card. I want to pray for us because undoubtedly there's people watching, there's people here this weekend, and maybe you're at a decision point. I just would love the opportunity to stand in the gap before our Lord and Savior who's a God of wisdom and just ask God to give you wisdom. If you need us or would like for us to pray with you about anything or a decision, then you can use this to let us know. 
and then somebody will be happy to get in touch with you or, you know, after any of our services, the online pastor or any of our pastors, any of our six locations would be more than happy to meet with you, discuss things with you, and pray with you. All right, so, that, so I just want to offer that. I would love for you to share how we can pray for you. Now, I want to also do this. When you choose to trust Jesus Christ with your life, steering wheel of your life, that's a decision. That's a statement that I am no longer in charge of me. I need a Lord. I need a Savior. I can't save myself, and I need a better leader than I am. Your heart was made to be led not followed. Some of you, if you really look in your soul right now, you have never trusted Jesus. You believe in him maybe, or you're kicking the tires, but maybe, maybe this weekend, in six locations online, maybe this weekend you're ready to trust Christ. He's asking for your heart. He's asking for you to give him your sins. And would you say yes to him? I'm going to give you one other option. You can actually, maybe you just want to have a conversation with one of our, our, our ministers, our pastors, and just say, hey, look, I, I want to talk about baptism. I want to talk about salvation. I, I want to talk about this whole disciple of Jesus thing. Gosh, we would love that. Please use this card. Use the comment box online. We're here to help us all. Take next steps. Make decisions that our God can bless and become more like Jesus every step along the way. Would you all bow your heads, close your eyes, and let's just give God some space right now. What I want to do is I don't want to talk for a minute or two. I just want you to have some space in your soul. This world is so busy. We don't get to ever pause. Stillness and solitude seem like something that we just never get, but your soul needs to be still. You need to just be in a hushed position of trust and just kind of just open your arms, open your hands up, and just, God, I need to trust you in this. Whatever your this is, would you just talk to God briefly or just listen in his presence and just be still, know that he's God. See yourself literally opening your hands. You're not clenched fist in control. You're opening your hands. You're opening your heart to trust him. Just have that little altar time right now. God, undoubtedly, there's just people here this weekend and they're at a crossroads. Would you give them wisdom? Would you activate their faith and trust in you? Show them your son on the cross, which just screams, you can trust me. You can trust me. God, I know there's people here and we need to confess right now, God, that we have made decisions without you involved or without ourselves in a place of trust or surrender. God, we have been playing God in, in, in this area of our lives. And God, there's just people here, me included, and we just need to say, God, I'm sorry. I confess, and as best I know how, I want to repent, and I want to do it differently 
next time. I don't want to do it the Egypt way. I want to do it the promised land way. So God, hear our confession. And then God, I think there's some people here and they are really close to becoming Christ followers, going forward in public baptism to declare their faith in you. Really close, God, maybe to jumping into a small group or jumping into some kind of uh, service opportunity. God, they're just close to taking that next spiritual step of trust and obedience to you. God, would you just give the clarity and courage right now? And I specifically want to pray for anybody that is ready right now to trust Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. However you want to verbalize that in your soul of souls, just tell Jesus you're saying yes to him, yes to being saved, yes to becoming his follower, yes to being his son or his daughter, and yes to his leadership and lordship over your life and being defined by his steadfast, eternal, unconditional love for you. So God, all these decisions are before you right now. Metaphorically, all these decisions are on the altar. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for being involved in our lives. Thank you, God, for wanting to bless us and the decisions we make. Thank you, God, for being a God worth giving our all to. And we love you because you first loved us. In your name we pray, the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.